I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Joshua one more time. The book of Joshua. And in a few moments, we're going to pick up in the fifth chapter. But I want to begin today by telling you a story that became popularized a few years ago by Mark Batterson in a book called The Circle Maker. He tells the story of a man named Honey. Honey was an eccentric man. He was a sage who lived on the outskirts of Jerusalem in the first century B.C. And what had happened in the first century was there was a devastating drought that had come and just lingered and almost wiped out an entire generation. The people became desperate for God to move. But you have to understand that at this time in the history of God's people, all the prophets had long since passed. After Malachi in the Old Testament, some 400 years had gone by and God had not spoke to his people. But this one man, Honey, he was convinced that even if we couldn't hear God, God could still hear us. And so he prayed. And he was known by the people in that area. He was famous for his ability to pray for rain. And so because the situation had gotten so desperate in the first century, the, the, century, uh, the century right before Jesus uh, was born, they came to Honey and they asked him if he would pray and ask God for rain. And as the story goes, Honey took his six-foot staff and he, and he posted it in the dirt and he began to draw a circle as he pivoted 360 degrees. He turned in a complete circle as all the people stood and watched. And then he dropped down on his knees and he threw his hands up into the air. And he began to pray this prayer. He said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. What happened next was absolutely incredible. There was a thunderclap and then rain began to just fall. All the people are looking up and, and they start laughing and they start cheering and they start rejoicing as the rain is starting to fall. And the people are just celebrating this moment except for one. Honey's still on his knees. He's still in the middle of his circle. And he looks up to heaven and he prays a second time. And he says these words. Not for such rain have I prayed. But for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. And after he prayed that prayer, the heavens absolutely opened up and there was a torrential downpour. Historians tell us that the rain was so heavy and the, the drops so, so fat that the people literally began to scatter. They began to run to the Temple Mount to try to escape the flash floods. Everyone scattered except for one. Honey was still on his knees in his circle that was now washing away and he prayed one more prayer and he said not for such rain have i prayed but for rain of your favor and blessing and graciousness and as he prayed that prayer the the storm began to turn into a slow steady soaking rain and that was the beginning of the legend of the circle maker. 
Honey became uh, known far and wide, and his legend carries on as one person who can change a nation through one prayer. He just simply drew a circle around the need. And on dry ground, he said, God, I'm not going to move until you answer this need. I want to challenge you today to become a circle maker. I want to challenge you in your life. You know, we've been talking about the children of Israel in this series we've called Crossover. And in the last four weeks, we've looked at how God has prepared the people. In chapter 1, he prepared Joshua the leader by telling him, be strong and courageous. In the second chapter, the Lord really prepared for himself and he proved to us that God can use anybody he wants by any means necessary to fulfill his will as he used a prostitute living in the wall of Jericho to save two of the spies. And he rescued her and and she became a part of God's redemption story. And then in chapter 3, we talked about what it means to be a part of a Joshua generation. A people that would step out into the waters at flood stage and believe God even when they couldn't see what he was doing. And because they did that, we know that the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan. And they were on the far side now of the Jordan at a place called Gilgal. And last week, we talked about what took place there. They placed memorial stones And I told told a story about these stones here and what they represent for my family. We talked about how it's important that we remember the things that God has done for us. That we never forget what God has done and that we always lead the next generation. And now we're moving into chapter 5. And as we come into chapter 5, I want to encourage you today to be a circle maker. I want to encourage you today... To be a person that takes everything that God has given you. Take the things that God has given you. That's why when we prayed earlier, we prayed with authority. We prayed with confidence. There's not a one of us that can twist God's arm today. There's not a one of us that can make God do something that he doesn't want to do. But the Bible communicates to us clearly that we have authority in Christ Jesus. And oftentimes we fall far short of the rights that we have. And can I remind you this morning that you are children of the Most High God. The Bible says that we are joint heirs with Jesus. We have an inheritance. We have rights. We have sonship that He's given us today. And so I want to challenge you with the words that the Lord gave to Joshua in chapter 5. But before we get there, look with me in chapter 1. I want to just backtrack for a moment to see the thing that God had already said to him in Joshua chapter 1 in verse 6. The Lord said to him, be strong and courageous because you will, everybody say you will, you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. This is the promise of God. You're going to do this, Joshua. You're going to lead these people. Can I remind you of an incredible verse? And if you're a note taker, there's space for you on the back of our bulletins to write some notes down. Here's an incredible verse for you to look up later. It's in Isaiah 55 and verse 11. And it says this, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, 
but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word does not return void. He said it will do what I sent it to do. We're going to use our Bibles this morning. Hold your place there in Joshua, but go with me to Romans chapter 4 really quick. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. You know, the Bible says that Abraham was the father of our faith. And so I want to look, (coughs) I want us to look at what Abraham did. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 18. Are you there yet? So I still hear pages turning. Some of you are there. We'll put this up on the screen as well. Romans 4 verse 18 says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so he became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him. And this is what was said to him. So shall your offspring be. So this was the promise that that God gave to Abraham. In fact, the the full verse says in Genesis 15 that God took Abraham outside. He said, look up to the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. As as numerous as the stars in the sky, that's how many sons uh, I'm going to give to you. But the Bible says that against all hope, He believed this. Look at the next verse. Without weakening in his faith. Verse 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. I I love love this this story. Because a lot of times we, we look at the facts and we lose faith. We look at the facts and, and we just begin to rationalize that something's not going to happen. But here's, here's how you face the facts. The Bible says he faced the fact with faith. He didn't deny it. Serving God and trusting in God is not a denial of the reality. I know some people that, I mean, they could be so sick, they are on their deathbed, but they, they won't admit they're sick. They think it's a lack of faith to even say, I'm sick. Look, it's not a lack of faith to face the facts. If you're sick, it's okay, you're sick. Face the facts, but face them with faith. That's what Abraham did. He looked at the situation, he said, God said, I'm going to have a bunch of kids, but I'm 100 years old. God said, I'm going to have descendants as numerous as the stars, but Sarah, she's, she's pushing 90. And we hadn't been able to have kids ever. In fact, we gave up on that decades ago. So, so that's the facts. And the facts look impossible, but it says this. Look at verse 20. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Verse 21. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. That's awesome. He was fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he promised. The facts say it's impossible, but he was facing the facts with faith, and so he was not discouraged. In fact, 
The Bible says in this story in, in Genesis that when the Lord told Abraham that his wife was going to have a child, the Bible says that Sarah overheard him saying it and she laughed. She laughed at the idea and God called Abraham on it. He asked him, he said, why did your wife laugh? And then he asked another question. He said, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I believe God wants to ask us that question today. Because we do the same thing sometimes. We hear the things that you know God wants to do or we read about his promises in our word and then we compare it to the facts that we're facing in our life and go, not my lifetime, not for me. But God would ask us the same question that he asked Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now let's go back to Joshua chapter 5 because we're going to pick up the story of God's people And let me tell you where we're at in the story. The the Israelites have already crossed over Jordan. They're camped at Gilgal. They're armed for battle. All they really need now is for their commander, Joshua, to give them a military strategy. How are we going to do this? How are we going to go in and attack this fortified city called Jericho? And so here's Joshua. He's standing outside of Jericho. He's looking up at this walled city. Historians tell us that the outside walls of of Jericho, it was a double-walled city. The outside walls of Jericho could have been as much as 12 feet thick. And the inner wall could have been as much as 50 feet high. And so you you can imagine how daunting it was. You can understand why the previous generation had gotten that far. And then they said, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. Because they were so high up there on the wall... They thought, there's no way that we're going to ever be able to to penetrate this fortified city. And so Joshua is looking like this at at this situation. I mean, this would be hard to attack today. But you've got to understand, in their day, modern warfare was a bow and arrow. I mean, they they didn't have a lot of, you know, they didn't have the machinery. And so they're looking at this. And if you put yourself in Joshua's situation... You can understand the pressure that he would face as a million and a half or maybe two to three million people are waiting for him to give them instructions and say, how are we going to take on this city? Seems like a good time to take a walk all by yourself. That's exactly what Joshua does. He goes off and he takes a walk all by himself. He walks towards Jericho. We don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he was trying to figure out how he was actually going to to take Jericho. But he's walking by himself, trying to figure out. And I want us to read what happened. Look in chapter 5 of Joshua, starting in verse 13. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho... He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and he asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. And he asked him, What message does the Lord Have for his servant. Verse 15. The commander of the Lord's army replied. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing. Is holy. And Joshua did so. I I love this scene. In the story. 
you got to remember, Joshua is a man of war. I mean, he's poised for conflict. And he's walking towards Jericho. And all of a sudden, he sees another soldier coming towards him. Not just walking. The Bible says he's come with his sword drawn. So Joshua says right away, hey, are you for us or for our enemy? And he's probably thinking, you better decide quick because I'm coming, buddy. And instead of saying, I'm for you or I'm for your enemy, he just gets an answer back, no. No. Neither. I'm not for you or your enemy. And I can just imagine at this point, Joshua's got his own sword out. But then the man responds. And he says, as the commander of the armies of the Lord, I have now come. He, he flips the question, basically. Joshua wants to know, are you on my side or their side? And the, the messenger says, basically, that's not the question. I'm in charge. The question is, whose side are you on? I know who I'm fighting for. Whose side are you on? See, here's, here's what the, the word to Joshua is in that moment. I, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. And that's what the Lord would say to us today. The battle is the Lord's. If you're a note taker, that's the first point you need to write down today. The battle is the Lord's. So Joshua all of a sudden recognizes that he is in the presence of a commanding officer who has superiority and rank over him. So the Bible says he bows down in that moment with his face to the ground. He bows down. But what he didn't know was that he was in the presence of deity. See, I, I believe this man that approaches Joshua is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called a Christophany. It's an appearance of Jesus before his incarnation. We've seen it a few times in scripture. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons I think that is because, you know, in Revelation, John the Revelator, he saw an angel of the Lord and he bowed down in worship. And the angel said, get up. Don't worship me. I'm not, I'm not Jesus. Don't worship me. He told him to stand up. But when Joshua sees this soldier coming towards him and he kneels down, falls down, face down. He's not told to get up. He's told, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. This is holy ground. He didn't understand the significance of the moment, but God had given Moses, the previous generation's leader, a burning bush experience. And this sounds a lot like that. Moses was told to take your shoes off because the place where you're standing is holy. And he had an encounter with God. And that encounter with God was going to propel him to lead the people out of bondage. But now Joshua has his own burning bush experience. He has his own opportunity. And he's told to take his sandals off because the place where he stands is holy ground. But this time he's not going to leave propelled to take people out of bondage. He's leaving propelled to take people in to the promised land. And that's really what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. That God wants to take us into something. Not just to deliver us out of sin. Not just to save us. Though if that's all he did, praise God it'd be enough. But he wants to do more than just take us out of our old life. He wants to bring us into something that he has planned for us. And, and God wanted to do that for Joshua and the people of Israel as well. And so he gives them this incredible moment. A holy moment in the presence of God. And he prepares him to deliver the people in to the promised land. 
And the message that Joshua has to get out of this moment, and the message that I believe you and I need to get, is this. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. You know, Moses had actually told Joshua that before he died. Long before they ever even got to Jericho, he told Joshua these words. He said, you've seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you're going. This is Deuteronomy 3. And in verse 22, Moses says to Joshua, he says, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. He had already known that. Moses told him that. But how many of you know sometimes we need to be reminded I'm that way too sometimes. I mean, I know I can trust God. I know that God's in control. But my tendency is to want to handle it. My tendency is to want to figure it out. To just to just come up with a plan. To, to, to bull my way through it. To make it work. And we have to be reminded sometimes that the battle is the Lord's. That's the reason that David was able to slay Goliath. He was just a teenage boy. He was going out to fight against a battle-tested giant of a man who had single-handedly intimidated the armies of Israel for some 40 days. They were afraid to go out and face him. Every day, Goliath taunted the people and he taunted the people. And then little David shows up and he hears what's going on. And immediately, he has a different reaction than all of the soldiers of Israel's army. Immediately, he has a different perspective he he says who is this undefiled uncircumcised this uncircumcised philistine that he would defy the armies of the living god he didn't see a a a strong warrior who was bigger and stronger and faster and more skilled than he was he saw someone that paled in comparison to the mighty god of heaven listen listen to what he said when he was Now, the little shepherd boy taunting the giant. He said these words in 1 Samuel 17, verse 47. He said, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. He was so confident that God was in control that he stood there with nothing but five stones and a slingshot. And he said, not only am I going to take you out... We're going to take out your whole army today because the battle is the Lord's. Oftentimes we stand intimidated by the enemy because we forget that simple truth. The battle is the Lord's. Let me just ask you today to think in your own life, what giant, what opposition have you allowed yourself to be intimidated by? Like the Israelite army, you're hiding behind the tent flaps. You're avoiding confrontation because you think it's up to you when in reality, the Spirit of God wants to remind you today, the battle is the Lord's. It's the Lord's battle. Some of you maybe have even thought this in in your relationships, in in your marriage. Maybe you ask the question like, like Joshua did, God, whose side are you on? God says, I'm not on either side. I'm here to take over. I'm here to take over. It's it's my battle. It's the Lord's battle. The Bible tells us an incredible story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you want to turn there with me, you can. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 
is the story of Jehoshaphat. He's the leader living in Israel, at the, in Jerusalem rather, at the time. And he received a word from three kings. He received a word that, that three different kingdoms, rather, were going to attack him. They were getting ready to attack the people of God. And so what he does in response to that is he calls for a fast. He tells all the people, we're going to gather together, we're going to fast, we're going to pray, we need God to help us. And, and as he's praying, he says these words in Second Chronicles 20 and verse 12, and these are highlighted in my Bible. I've prayed these prayers before. Maybe it's a prayer that you need to pray today, but here's what Jehoshaphat said to the Lord. He said, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't that an awesome prayer? Ever been there before? We don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. That was the prayer that he prayed to God. And in that moment of, of praying and, and fasting and believing with the people of God, God gave a prophetic word to someone in the camp. God gave a, a prophetic word to one of the Levites. And here's what he said in Second Chronicles 20.15 to Jehoshaphat. He said, Listen, king and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid. Or discouraged because of the vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Can I tell you what's incredible about that story? I love it so much. Jehoshaphat just believed the word of God. When he heard that, he absolutely believed it. I mean, listen, if, if you're going to go out and you're going to fight against three other kingdoms that are coming against you, and it's up to you, then you better put your best soldiers in the front of the line. But if you really believe that the battle's not up to you, that the battle is the Lord's, that he's fighting for you, then it makes more sense, instead of putting your best soldiers in the front, to put your best worshipers in the front. Those that are really good at bringing glory and honor to God. And as crazy as it sounds, that's exactly what Jehoshaphat did. He assembled the worshipers and the, the, the singers, and he put them out front, in front of the army, and they began to march they begin by faith. And while they marched, here's what the people sang. It says down in verse 21 and 22. It says they were singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Listen to this next verse. Verse 22 says, and as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. Now you want to talk about a crazy military strategy. Y'all just go out there and start singing praises and worship to God. But that was the word from the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. And I just want to, I want to encourage you today because some of you need to stop swinging your sword and you need to start wielding worship because it's not up to you. The battle is the Lord's. You've been stressing, you've been full of anxiety, you've been anxious about things because you're trying and you're striving to figure it out. But the reality is God is fighting for you today. He's fighting for you. He's on your side. The Bible says, if God is for me, who can be against me? It's time that we recognize that, that God doesn't take sides in issues. He takes over. He's Lord. He's in charge today. And if we'll humble ourselves and submit ourselves to him, he'll give us the victory. The Bible says this in Psalms chapter 8, 
in verse 2. I love this verse. It says that through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. That's what worship does. That's what praise does. The Bible says even out of children, right now upstairs, our children are worshiping God. Say, does that have any consequence? I mean, is that, is that just training? Are we just teaching them for when they get, get older? No, not at all. The Bible says when they open up their mouths and praise God, it silences the foe and the avenger. The enemy's schemes and plans against our lives are being thwarted by our children. And it says infants. How important is nursery ministry right now? So you think they're just occupying kids so we can have church. There might be spiritual warfare going on back there. Try to wrap your mind around that. The Bible says that God has ordained praise out of the mouths of babes and infants to establish a stronghold against the enemy, to silence the foe and the avenger. That's how powerful our praise is. That's why it's so much more effective than your strategizing and your own attempt and your own idea. That's why you have to put down the sword and, and pick up a heart of worship and praise towards God because the battle is the Lord's. And I want you to notice in that story of Jehoshaphat, before we go back to Joshua, when the victory came. The verse that I read to you said, and as the people began to sing and praise, God set ambushes against their enemies. As the people began to sit and praise. Can I just encourage you this morning, don't wait for the circumstances to be right. To be a worshiper. Yesterday, I, I was driving across this bridge to go and do a funeral service. And I knew a lot of lost people were going to be there that didn't know Jesus. And, and on my way over there, you know what I was doing? I was praising God for the people that were being saved. Don't wait until you see all the evidence. Don't wait for the circumstances to be right to worship. When Joshua led the children across the Jordan River, the priests were to step in while the waters were still at flood stage. And had they waited for the water to part, they'd still be standing there today. God wanted to teach them, as He wants to teach us, that if you'll step out in obedience and faith, I'll meet you with my provision. Jehoshaphat's army was not going to celebrate and strike up the band if they won. They made up their mind in the face of three adversaries to worship God. They just praised God. And they said, God is good and His love endures forever. He is faithful. And as they went forth in praise, God created an ambush against their enemies. You know, sometimes we come into church and we don't worship because we're so distracted by what we're going to face when we leave here. I'm going to tell you, sometimes the most effective thing you can do to handle the issues that you're dealing with outside of church is to just come into church and give God the praise that he deserves as if you didn't have a care in the world. Say, oh, no, well, that's, that's kind of hypocritical, isn't it? I mean, to come in and just sing and celebrate like nothing's wrong. No, it's faith. It's not denying the fact that your life might be a wreck that, that Monday is going to be a headache waiting for you. But the fact is, God is good. God is faithful. And I'm not waiting for the circumstances to pan out the way I want them to. I'm just going to praise God. And trust that the battle is the Lord's. Amen? He's on our side today. Amen? He's on our side. Second thing I need you to know today is this. That faith requires obedience. 
it requires that we do something. Look, look with me in chapter 6. It begins with these words. Now the gates of Jericho, Joshua 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. You know, as chapter 6 begins, the Israelites are standing there. Uh, the Lord, rather, is standing there still in front of Joshua. The scene hasn't changed. The Lord's got his sword. Joshua's got his sword. Now Joshua's flat on his face, recognizing that he's in a holy place. It's kind of odd that this verse is the next verse in the story, but I believe by the Spirit's leading, the, the author inserts verse 1 of Joshua 6 as a commentary into the story just so that we will know the, the mandate that God put on Joshua's faith. There's a demand that God puts on your faith. So right here in the middle of this holy moment where Joshua is standing before the Lord, we find out that Jericho is securely shut up. Nobody goes out, nobody comes in. It's still, in case you forgot, a fortified, unpenetrable city. But then look at the next verse. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. What a powerful contrast of what reality says and what faith sees. That's what Jesus is trying to accomplish in this moment for Joshua. Yes, it's still a fortified city. Yes, you don't have a plan yet for how to attack that city. But I want you to see something today. I've given it into your hands. And I want to challenge you today to take what God has given you. Take what God has given you. He said, I've already given it to you. I want you to see this. They couldn't find a way into the city. They didn't know how this was going to work out. But God shows up and he says, see it with faith eyes. The Bible says this in in the book of James, New Testament. James talks about faith a lot in chapter 2. And he asks a question. He says this, he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but they have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Good question. And the answer is no. If a person says they have faith, but they have no deeds, is that saving faith? No, it's not. He goes on in verse 17 to say, in the same way, faith by itself if it, is not, <clears throat> if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith without works is dead. It's, it's not real faith. So by obedience, we discover faith's existence. When we walk in obedience, say, how do you know what you believe? Well, how do you live? What you believe dictates the way you live your life. I mean, you, you can say you believe certain things, but if it doesn't affect your life or your choices, you really don't believe those things. And so that's what he's basically saying, that faith finds its existence in our obedience. And we see it all through the word in Hebrews 11. The Bible says, by faith, Abel brought. That was the obedience. He brought a better sacrifice than Cain. The Bible says, by faith, Noah built. That was the obedience. He built an ark for the saving of his family. It goes on to say, by faith, Abraham, even though he didn't know where he was going, he went. 
He took steps of obedience. He obeyed and he went to a land that God would give him as an inheritance. Faith is always connected to an act of obedience. So for for Joshua and the children of Israel, that act of obedience, that step of faith, it didn't even make any sense. It it it, It was insane to think of it practically. But, but look with me in Joshua 6 at the plan that God told him. Verse 3, he said, March around the city wall once with the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets. Have the whole army give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. That's the plan? Just march? Can you imagine what that must have felt like to to Joshua? I mean, who has already had many successful military campaigns? Okay, God, so we're going to go down, we're going to march around the city. Then what? Go back home. Okay, okay. So day two, we're going to march. Then what? Just go back home. This is the plan? But you know, when I read this story, here's what amazes me. Now, I don't know how long Joshua stood there with his mouth hanging open. But we don't see anything but immediate obedience in the text. In the text here. Immediate obedience. Look at the next verse. Almost without delay, it seems, Joshua says, So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and he said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, verse 7, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark. Can I just encourage you today to practice immediate obedience? How many times have you felt the presence of the Lord, you know, bring someone to your mind and you thought, boy, you know, I need to call them. I'll do it later. And, And then you never do it. Or how, how many times have you been in a situation where somebody shared a need with you and you thought, oh, wow, man, that stuff, you know, I'll, I'll be praying for you. And, and then you forget about it and you never pray for them. Practice immediate obedience. When God speaks, just make up your mind. You know what? If God tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do whatever the Lord tells me to do. If God's speaking, I mean, it happens all the time. The Lord will impress you in a moment, you know, to help meet a need. Maybe to give a sacrificial gift to someone or to some cause or, or to the church. And you think, wow, you know what, I, we should do that. It would probably be a little easier next week. This is not a good week for it. And then just like that, the moment of obedience is gone. And here's what I've found to be true in my own life. That oftentimes delayed obedience is actually disobedience in disguise. Maybe it's not intended to be that way, but we put it off. I want to challenge you to practice immediate obedience. Just when God speaks, just do what he says to do. God instructed Joshua in the process. He said, here's the way that you're going to possess the promise, the first city that I have given you. You're going to march. Now, I want to let you know this morning, it wasn't the the blast of the trumpets that knocked the walls down. It wasn't the shout of the people that knocked the walls down. The Bible tells us, why the walls of Jerusalem or Jericho fell down in Hebrews 11. It says this, verse 30, by faith, 
the walls of Jericho fell. After the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith. That's what caused the walls to fall. And the expression of their faith was simply to march. They walked around Jericho 13 times. Once a day for six days. Seven times on the seventh day. And they were to keep silent the whole time. And what do you think they did the whole time they were silently walking in circles? I believe, just like Honey, they were praying. As they were circling that city, they were circling the promises of God. They were circling the plan that God had for them. They were looking at what looked like an obstacle. And I believe their faith had to be growing with every step that they took. They knew that the battle was the Lord. They knew that faith requires obedience. And this is the last thing that I really want you to get in your heart today. There comes a point where you have to begin to circle the promises. Where you have to begin to put your faith in the God who is fighting for you. Jericho was a 12-acre city. And so they're walking in circles around it. On the seventh day, if they had started at 6 a.m., at three miles per hour, each mile and a half circuit would have taken a half an hour. So by 9 a.m. on the seventh day, they're gearing up for the last lap. They're getting ready to march around the walls one final time. And they're going to lift up a shout unto God when they hear the trumpet blast. Can you imagine the expectation that must have come into that moment? You know, honestly, we don't get much from God sometimes because we don't expect anything. I mean, sometimes, you know, we we can come and and we can do church and and we can uh, do devotions at our kitchen table or whatever it is, but we can come and encounter God and not really even have any expectation. They had seven days of building up the expectation for what God would do. And and finally, the moment came. On the seventh time around, the trumpets blasted. And just like the Lord had told them, the people of God lifted up a shout. And the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. They came tumbling down to the ground. And I want to just speak to you directly right here at the conclusion of this service today. Because for you, maybe Jericho is your biggest dream. It's the promise of God. It's the thing that you hope for, that you long for, but it looms large in the distance and you don't see how you can get it. You don't see how it's ever going to become your reality. And maybe for some of you, Jericho represents your worst fears. Because it's that wall that has kept you out from the things that God has for you. For some of you, maybe maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a... It's a scarred past. Whatever those walls might be. Maybe it's an inability to forgive yourself or, or to forgive others. And you're looking at the things that God has for you and the things that he wants for you. But this wall stands before you. And you don't know how you're going to get around it. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. It seems impossible. However you're looking at this today, whether, whether Jericho is a, a wall that needs to be torn down in your life, or whether Jericho is that promise, that place that God said is yours and you can have, I want to challenge you today to circle it. To understand that the battle is the Lord's, that God is fighting for you. And that if you'll walk in faith, if you'll step out in obedience... And do what the Lord tells you to do. And begin to claim the promises of God. And circle it. You can have 
those things that God has for you. And you can tear down those walls that are keeping you from God's promise in your life. There's a lot of different ways you can spell Jericho. If you're not saved today, you don't know Jesus, then Jericho for you is spelled salvation. You need to circle the promises of God that says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise for you today. Circle that promise in your heart. If you're sick in body today, then the promise or Jericho for you is healing. That's your promised land. Healing. You need to circle that. By his stripes, the word says, we can be made whole. Maybe some of you today would spell Jericho restoration. Because relationships have been destroyed. Because damage has been done and bridges have been burned. And there's, there's a wall that needs to come down. For some of you today, maybe Jericho is spelled a different way. For me, one of the ways I spell it is Morgan, Macy, and Mally. Because every day I, I, circle, I circle their lives in prayer. And I believe the promises of God for my children. That the Spirit of God will be their inheritance. That God does have a destiny for them. That He does have a plan for them. That the enemy can't stop what God wants to do. And so as I pray for them, I'm circling them in faith. I'm believing God that He's going to do the things that only He can do in their life. Because I know that ultimately, as good a father as I want to be, He's a better father. And the battle is the Lord's. I'm circling this church in prayer. I'm believing God for the great things that He wants to do for us. And so I want to pray with you today. And I want, I want to ask you, what about you? What about you? What battles do you need to trust the Lord to fight for you? What battles do you need to believe that God is going to help you with? Maybe there's a dream out there that you just feel like it's unattainable. But if God's put it in your heart, God can make it happen. Maybe it's a stronghold in your life that just needs to come down today. Here's how we're going to end this service. I want to ask you to stand with me, if you would, all over this room. And I want you to visualize your Jericho today. And I want to invite you, if you're able, I want to invite you to come and find a place to stand in these altars this morning. Because we're going to end this service together. We want to pray for God to begin to tear down walls that are holding us back. And to begin to allow us to cross over into the things that God has planned for us. All of us, would you come? Every one of us. We're going to believe together. We're going to just, we're going to fill this place. Can you imagine what it looked like for the children of Israel? Some, maybe two million people on a mile and a half circuit. They were probably lapping each other. It was probably chaos. By the time they got four and five and six laps, they're walking circles around each other. So let, let's just crowd in here. And let's press right up against the promise. Let's press right up against the thing that God has for us. As individuals and as a church. Know this today. God is fighting for you. I know for some of us that seems simple, but it's a lie from the enemy that we believe. Time and time again that, that God has forgotten, that God is not aware. Listen, He gave His Son... On the cross, bled and died, crucified, to give you life. Not so that you could fail in that life, 
Not so that you could be mediocre. Jesus said the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But the reason I came was to give you life to the fullest. He's fighting for you. Don't disqualify yourself by looking to the right or the left. and go, Well, God's got plans for them or God's got promise for them, but, but not for me. If that's the way you feel today, that you feel unworthy, then there's a wall that needs to come down in your life. A self-condemning wall. You need to get a new identity. You need to see yourself the way that God sees you. He's for you. He's for you today. So whatever your Jericho is, I want us to begin to pray and ask God as we circle it in prayer today. Ask God to fulfill His promises in our life. Come on, let's lift our voices to Him. God, today.